praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. It's time for the Gun Guy TV Podcast. Hi, I'm Joel Persinger. I'm the Gun Guy. Thank you very much for listening to the Gun Guy TV Firearms Podcast and, frankly, for everything you do to help me keep this thing going. There are a couple of things I want to let you know. One is, well, first, I owe you an apology. I want to apologize for not having a podcast that comes out on a specific day at a specific time each week and like that. There's a reason for that, and that is that I don't make a living on the podcast. I'm actually trying to work, and i got other things going on. So I get them done as quickly as I can and get them posted as regularly as I can. So I apologize that it's not super regular and on a specific schedule. I just can't do that where I'm at right now with running our business and the other things. So please accept my apology. They are posted uh, regularly, as regularly as I can do them. And obviously, they're on your favorite podcast player. So you can find them or download them automatically or whatever you want to do where that's concerned. Now, if you'd like to help support the podcast, since it does not make money for me, it costs me money to do this kind of stuff and uh, Gun Guy TV on YouTube and like that. You can do that best by either going to Gun Guy TV crew and joining the crew where you'll have access to exclusive content you can't find anywhere else. Or if you happen to be in California and you want to take some shooting classes with us, some simulator courses with us, and you're in the San Diego area, we're going to be launching our simulator courses in our office in Mission Valley this month in February, uh, or I should say next month in a couple of days, we'll start uh, getting the schedule up. Or if you're in the security business and you are in California and you need security training, please check out Practical Defense Systems at pdsclasses.com. All right, sorry about the long commercial. I just wanted to make sure that you knew all of that. Now let's get to the podcast interview, which is with Mark Oliva, who is from the National Shooting Sports Foundation. Mark is a great guy. He's never been on the show before, but he has committed to coming back and telling us what's going on with the firearms industry regularly on Gun Guy TV and here on the Gun Guy TV Firearms Podcast. We interviewed him while at SHOT Show, so the audio is a little different, uh, but I wanted to make sure that you had access to this key information about what's going on with uh, with the industry, because obviously... If we want to be able to shoot and have guns and like that, and we don't have a healthy firearms industry, ammunition, manufacturing industry, and so on, it really hurts us. We've all experienced that with ammo shortages and that kind of thing. All right, let's go talk to Mark. Mark, you don't have any food. Uh, I don't normally eat breakfast, and it's a terrible habit. But especially with the dinners here in Las Vegas, you have to, like, fast all day long just so you can get through one actual meal at the end of the year. Yeah, I think I've eaten enough so far in two days to not have to eat for the rest of the month. But I know I totally get what you're saying. So we're uh, we're at SHOT Show. We're going to be here doing this all day, just shooting the breeze with some important people. Mark said, I'm not important. Why do you have me doing this? No, you are important. Mark, uh, he represents the National Shooting Sports Foundation. So why don't you, real quick, tell us who you are and what you're doing. And, I, and by the way, I love the Marine Corps yeah, the uh, emblem. emblem. Yeah, yeah, the that's emblem. Awesome. Got to represent the emblem. So, yeah, yeah I spent right. 25 years in the Marine Corps yeah. uh, prior to coming over to uh, National Shooting Sports Foundation. Been here for about six years. Yeah. Uh, I'm the uh, essentially the uh, policy guy, uh, what's our policy communication. So I get to support the government relations team and, and the lobbying efforts that they do, and I get to talk about 
uh, all the efforts that we're trying to do on Capitol Hill and in the state capitals and, and why that's important to the industry and what that means to the consumer at the end of the day. Uh, so I get to tell people well, most of the time I get to talk to the BD that doesn't necessarily like us. Uh, we're the guys on the other side of the house and NSSF and the marketing side. They get to talk to the outdoor media all the time. And, uh, so, so this is a treat to be able to sit down to people who understand uh, what it is to be a, to be a gun owner, understand how important this industry is to our freedoms, and understands you know what this means to to our rights as Americans. Well, and I think that's where there's a bit of a disconnect sometimes. Not a disconnect, but I think maybe maybe there's a disconnect. Because I'm involved in the industry, I know what's going on with the industry because I realize how important fighting for the industry is. But I, do, I wonder sometimes how knowledgeable consumers are about that. So yeah. can you help maybe, you know, average guy. My, my son's an average guy, makes custom knives. He's a knife maker. Yeah. And uh, But he's a hunter and a gun owner. And so how does NSSF's fight to protect the industry, the firearms industry, affect yeah. yeah, so when we look at a lot of the times when uh, proposals come up for regulations or will come up for proposed laws, you know, we're, we're taking a look at that from an industry perspective, whereas some of the other groups, uh, NRA, Gun Owners of America, uh, Second Amendment Foundation, they're going to take care of you as a gun owner, and that's, that's their role, that's their lane. Our lane is representing the manufacturers, the, the, the fire manufacturers, ammunition manufacturers, uh, distributors, ranges, retailers, all those businesses. We're in the business of business. So we want to make sure that those people are able to stay in business. But that's important to the, to the average everyday gun owner is when you want to be able to buy that gun and we start seeing these laws that are being proposed and we see how it's going to you know, affect the business of, of our manufacturers, we start to look at what, what are the laws and what are our rights and what, how are these proposals coming up and you know, becoming an issue for our manufacturers to meet the demand that you have for the gun that you want to be able to use. You should be able to purchase the firearm of your own choosing. Well, we just saw with Illinois, they just banned the modern sporting rifle. They banned the AR-15 style rifle, and they just went through a serious list, and they slapped every name by name manufacturers on there of firearms that you're no longer able to buy. Well, from our vision, from our viewpoint, that's a violation of your Second Amendment rights. But that also is a serious impact to our manufacturers. And if you look out on the show floor, I don't think you're going to see a major manufacturer out there who's not making a modern sporting rifle. Someone who's not meeting that demand, trying to produce a better mousetrap that you want to take into the woods with you to go to be able to hunt, right? Right. So that's where, that's where the intersection kind of happens. Well, we're representing the manufacturers who want to be able to meet your demand. Uh, you got some of the other groups who are going to represent your interest as, as an owner themselves. Mm -hmm. So you guys are sitting here real quiet. Pete, I've, you've never been this quiet. I've known you for a long time. <laughs> I, I was just wondering, uh, since, since Bruin, what have you, since the Bruin decision, what yeah. have you seen uh, change in the industry and what have you seen change in the, in the, in the marketing? Um, so, interestingly, we've seen uh, there's kind of an intersection with things that are happening with the Bruin decision. Obviously, the Bruin decision came back and said the, the big part of it really was kind of, the lead was kind of buried a little bit. The, the Bruin decision said that the courts were using a two-part test to be able to decide if a law was constitutional. Right. And back in Heller and in McDonald, they had said there's only one test. That test is the Second Amendment. That's the Constitution. But the courts have been applying this up through the circuit courts of appeal. So when the Bruin decision came around, they said New York can't be doing these subjective criteria for concealed carry, but also every time you've been applying this two-part test, it is unconstitutional throw it out. So, of course, what we've seen on the backlash of that is we've seen New York 
uh, we've seen uh, New Jersey, uh, some other states, obviously now with, with Illinois and their laws, they've written even more egregious concealed carry, uh, subjective concealed carry laws that I think are going to be, you know, specious uh, when they come up with a constitutional challenge. Uh, for the marketing side, we've obviously seen in California where they say, well, you can't market to children anymore. And we've seen that the Safari Club has been, you know, challenging that on the hunting side of this because they want to be able to reach out to kids to talk about safe hunting. We want to be able to make sure that you as a parent who want to take your son or your daughter out to a gun range and be able to teach them safe marksmanship, responsible firearm ownership. Well, now if you can't, uh, if we can't talk to you as an industry about the importance of that, and show you a picture or, or talk to you about some of the advertising literature of why a product coming from a manufacturer may be able to help you do that, then, then that's an infringement. So now we're talking just Second Amendment right infringements. We're talking First Amendment right infringements. So there are some serious constitutional questions that are with some of these things that are coming out. I think what you've seen with after the Bruin decision, you've seen both sides become a little bit more emboldened. And so for some of the folks who are opposing our rights as gun owners and opposing the industry, they, they uh, honest, honestly, at this time, kind of wear it like a badge of honor that they don't care what the Supreme Court says. And I think this is going to come down to some kind of, you know, head, you know, head point here that they're going to have to figure this out and start to push back and say, okay, enough is enough, that you, you have been pushing this too hard too long. Yeah, it's, I, I'm sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to say that I, I think that's where NSSF and other organizations fighting for not just the second but the first. And, frankly, many of the amendments, if not all of them, we you really are the tip of the spear, and I don't think people really understand that. Because yes. if, if, if the government can do away with our First and Second Amendments, we don't have the rest of them all fall. Yeah, I think if you look at any of the, any of the amendments, any of our constitutional rights, no matter which one that you kind of cling to as the one that's most important to you, if one of them isn't a constitutional right, then none of them are. Then, right. they, then they, become, they become permissions that you're given to by the, by the government. Right. And, and, and the government is no longer serving us. We are serving the government, and that's not what the Founding Fathers shared vision. That's not, that's not what I signed up for 25 years in the Marine Corps to be able to defend so you could enjoy your rights at your freedom. At your freedoms at your, I may not agree with everything that's said about us, but I want the other side to have their freedom to be able to do that. Right. I want to be able to have the frank and honest conversation with those with whom I may passionately disagree. But let's talk about these things as adults instead of start cutting each other off at the knees and start saying, well, you don't have the right to talk about safe firearm ownership with your own children. That is, to me, an anathema of what it means to be an American. Well, and you're a, you're a father with a young child and a wife who's more political than you are. She <laughs> is. Kind of funny. She is. How do you think this, uh, you know, any thoughts? Well, I find questions? it very interesting. I've never uh, even thought of how the manufacturers, it's such a, it's such a strong point because if you can't even have the rifles on the shelves, people like me who just like to shoot, who might not, I can't tell you the difference between that AR and that AR, but I do like ARs. If I don't see them, I'm not going to know what I'm looking at or, or feel safe, like as an average American, feel safe to want to handle more, see the need of safety for those things, or teach my child how to, how to check if a gun is loaded. If you do see a gun, or what is gun safety of those things, it just trickles down. I think it's very important. It, and, and isn't that, when you start to look at that, and you start to view that from the parent viewpoint, of, you know, if I can't see that gun, I, then I can't talk about that gun. Right. And if I can't talk about that gun, then that gun doesn't exist. And if I can't talk about how it exists, then how can I talk about the right to own it existing? So it's this, this chipping away. So when you start to pull back that veil a little bit, you start to see what the strategy is here. If they eliminate your ability to talk about it, 
they're going to eliminate your ability to think about it. And that's a dangerous way to go about business. I agree. I agree. Yeah. That's, ahead, a, that's, a huge, that's a huge difference from, from, uh, from, when, from when I grew up. Uh, and I grew up in Southern California. I took my first hunter safety class at my junior high school yeah. as a summer school yeah. class and got school credit for it. Yeah. I shot competitively on my high school rifle team. Yeah. Where it was not uncommon to have an Anschutz 22 sitting in the trunk of your car yeah. at school. Now that would, you know, now, well, now, now, now you can't even talk to those people. You can't. You can't. And so it, it's, become, it's become difficult. I mean, you even look at the situation with, with Kim Rohde. I mean, one of the most decorated Olympians that the, that the American team has ever put forward. And she and, lives and in a, California. And i got to tell you, a very embarrassing person to shoot next to because he and I both have. <laughs> yeah, she's And I amazing. don't care what kind of a shot you think you are, especially at Skeet, which I pretend to shoot. I shoot at birds yeah. at Skeet. <laughs> And so, but she's a joy. She's yeah. just a great human being. But, but she has come out to California and said, listen, these laws that you're putting out right. here, the ammunition background check laws, these marketing to children laws, she's been at the forefront of some of these going. Yeah, she's right you, on the leading edge of You are potentially crushing the next Olympian, the next young girl right. that's out there right. that wants to take up the sport that I've had so many years enjoying and been able to represent my country. You're going to crush the dream of that child. Well, it takes away something that is a... a, a an essential part of the American culture. Yeah. In yeah. my high school, during duck season, a lot of the teachers would go hunting with the seniors. We would go, you know, we, we might go hunting and come back, and then the, the teacher, your coach or whatever, has got his shotgun in the truck parked in the teacher parking lot yep. right before school starts. Yeah. And then we all went to class. And nobody shot anybody. Nobody, I mean, but it was, it was, again, it was just accepted because it was part of the culture, and that was in California. Yeah, and I think that's what you're hitting the nail on the head. They're working to shift that culture and to eliminate our culture of safe and responsible firearm ownership. Yeah. And that's what we want to foster. I mean, that's why the, the NSSF has our Real Solutions programs for safety programs, about locking up your gun when it's not in use, about you know handing out for child locks to, to police departments, about making sure that the background check system works the way it's intended, you know, submit all the disqualifying records. I don't want someone who's not supposed to have a gun to have their hands on it. So let's make sure that the system works right. the way it's supposed to. And that, not so it's, you know, encumbering you as someone who's law-abiding to be able to buy it, but so that we can weed out those we know shouldn't have a gun. But we have these programs. But, again, we start to talk to some of these lawmakers. They, they just their eyes glaze over and it becomes a very difficult challenge and that's why we are consistently engaged on capitol hill consistently engaged in the state capitals to make sure that they understand one how important this is not only to the ability to manufacture these firearms but also the jobs that it carries this is an industry that has over three hundred seventy-six thousand jobs associated with it a 70 billion dollar a year industry we're doing pretty good for america we're turning out a lot of money because of the money that's paid into the Pittman-Robertson tax that goes to wildlife conservation, that's paid by the firearm manufacturers and retailers, you support that tax every time you buy your gun or your ammo. It's baked into the price. They were able to give a billion dollars back to the states last year. A, bi- a With billion, a B. A B. $1.1 billion. billion with a B. With a B. Oh, my God. That went back to the states for conservation efforts to make sure yeah. that we have the woods and the, and the waters right. to be able to take take your, your kids out hunting. And be able see, to people don't that. understand that hunters and, and gun owners are probably the greatest conservationists in the yeah. country by far. The original conservationists. Mark, let me ask you, 
post-Bruin yeah. because the court really did come back and say, here's the test. If the plain language of the amendment covers the acti activity in question, then it's presumptively constitutional. And if, for example, you want to go beyond that and argue it anyway, then you have to find some hin historically analogous law between 17... Nine, uh, I'm sorry, pardon me? 1791 and 1865, yeah. you know, Second and Fourteenth Amendment, that, that is analogous. And if you can't, then the, the practice is constitutional. Now, obviously, that's going to be a battle, but I, I guess the hard question for a lot of gun owners is, are we winning? Are we losing? Where, where are we, and how are we doing in this fight? Yeah, it's, um, it, it, you know, I think it, I, I, try, I try to be a glass-half-full person. I, yeah. I think that we're winning. I think it over... There are some difficult points. Obviously, you know, Illinois is very disappointing. The laws that are being passed in, in Delaware and in New Jersey and New York, uh, Connecticut, Rhode Island, I mean, these are states that, yeah. that we know are terrible. And they used to be good states when I was a child. Um, so it's, it's difficult to see it. But I think when you start to look at the overall arc and you start to look at the path of, of where the Supreme Court has been going, I think that we're we're actually set up pretty well to protect our rights. It's going to be it's going to be a challenge. It's going to be fights in the courts. I think we're going to go there. I mean, I think you see what's happening in California. Uh, you know, California. You're talking about you know. Well, you have to go back in history and show show me the laws. Well, California trying to defend some of their gun control laws are starting to go back and start saying, well, some of these racist gun control laws that were on the books right. back post Civil War Reconstruction era. Or we're, we're putting our foundation, and we're stopping saying, whoa, hold on a second. You're saying so in order to be able to discriminate against African Americans, you want to have this law when discrimination is outright illegal. You can't do that. So it, it's interesting to see the grasping of the straws that's happening on the other side now because they know that they're on very thin ice when it comes to, you know, trying to defend the constitutionality of some of these Now, you've mentioned laws. one state that's near and dear to us because we all live there. But my wife and I have a second home in the White Mountains of Arizona. So yeah. we've got a we got a hunting property up there. Yes, you have to go knock elk down with us or sometime. Uh, you know, you part. twist my arm. Yeah, I, I know, right? Katie Hobbs is now governor yeah. okay, of Arizona. I know there's a big argument about that, and Christy Lake is fighting the battle and so on. That's not the only state that we're starting to see. You know, we've seen shifts in one direction or the other. Yeah. Every election we see this. Yeah. How do these shifts affect the industry state by state? Do you guys get into the state by state fight? Or oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we absolutely do. We, we uh, you know, so you look at your neighboring state there in, in New Mexico with Governor uh, Lujan Grisham. It's, um, it's, it's being very difficult there. And the, the battle that she's had with her sheriffs in her states, her yeah. sheriffs have straight out told her that they will not enforce the laws that she wants to put on the books to control people's gun rights. And, and they're, they're in a heated pitch battle about that. You're seeing the same thing on that happening in Illinois, by the way. You've had over 80 sheriffs, county sheriffs, going, I'm not enforcing this unconstitutional law. But you also saw that play out here in Nevada uh, with the most recent election. Obviously, Governor Lombardo is now the governor. Uh, he, is, uh, he, he ran on a platform of protecting your gun rights. But some of the issues that the legislature and the previous governor were talking about, and they were considering bans on, on, on so-called assault weapons, or the right. modest sporting rifle, the AR-15 rifle, yeah. well, how difficult would that have made it for us to even have a shot show? If our manufacturers couldn't come out here and display their product, yeah. yeah. So you look at Massachusetts. And Smith & Wesson made the decision a couple of years ago that they're going to be moving some of their production, a, a significant portion of their production, and their corporate headquarters down to Marysville, Tennessee. Now, Smith & Wesson has been in, in Springfield, Massachusetts for well over 150 years. Yeah. You know, they're one of the foundational 
uh, you know, major manufacturers have been out there. One of your biggest manufacturers is in the market today. Uh, but when Mark Smith made that decision, he made that decision because there's been legislation that's been bantered around in the Massachusetts State House. Now, you can't buy a so-called assault weapon in Massachusetts, uh, but there has been legislation that they're considering that it would make it illegal to produce the modern sporting rifle or Smith & Wesson's M&P 15. Wow. Now, that would be 60% of the bottom line of Smith & Wesson. Wow. Financially, I, didn't, I didn't realize it was that much. Financially. 60%. 60%. So there 60%. is 60%. There is no way that they could survive as a publicly traded company if they took that kind of economic hit. And look at the jobs they're chasing out of the state. They are. And now you're talking, and I think anybody who under, understands some of these manufacturing plants like this, we're not just talking like, hey, it's, it's Bill and Joe and, and Fred. These are generational workers. Right, you right. walk into some of these factories, and it's, it's a history of grandfathers and grandmothers and, and, and sons and daughters that are working there, and their children are probably going to end up having a job in those plants as well. I walked through Remington's plant a couple of years ago, and I talked with one of their quality assurance engineers, Remington Ammunition in Arkansas. Uh, this gentleman is working doing quality assurance on the ammunition. He works there. His wife works there. His mother retired from there. His dad used to work there. His grandfather laid the steel to build the plant. Wow. Wow. Unbelievable. Well, that's a, that's so you're talking crazy. about the, the, the generational growth into the industry. Our own president and CEO, Joe Bartosi, came to us from OF Mossberg. He has spent over 30 years working for Mossberg. Yeah. Uh, his grandfather worked in the Winchester plant in New Haven, Connecticut. So he was able to actually walk through the Winchester factory on some of the same floors that his grandfather had worked on for years. Generational growth or generational uh, you know, work, uh, workers going through these factories. So when you make that decision to shut down a factory, it's a family decision. Yeah. And so when you start to talk about, well, people should just pick up and move out of the state because of these laws, that was a very difficult decision for Smith & Wesson to make. Mark Smith had a very difficult decision, not only because it's not cheap to build a new factory, no. but two, he had to make that decision knowing that he was going to lose some people that weren't going to leave Massachusetts. Well, a lot of them can't. So look, if, if in the American culture and American society, just even aside from guns, what helps middle-class people succeed is multi-generational wealth. Yeah. My wife and I own a home. We have our ranch property. We have rental properties. Well, the reason we have those things is because we've worked very hard, but also because my grandfather, who was a real estate investor, when he passed away, he left us some of this stuff. I want to leave these things to my kids. So now you have these folks who have worked at the same business, the same factory for years. I guarantee you that houses, properties, side hustle businesses, yep. you know, maybe a rental property or something. This stuff has passed from generation to generation. It's not that these folks are renting a condo yep. or renting an apartment somewhere. So if they're going to pack up and move from point A to point B, they have to un they have to rip the roots of their entire family and their family history out of the ground to do it. Yeah. So, so yeah. that becomes very difficult. And we hear from a lot of times when, when people saying, oh, they passed this law, that, that manufacturer should move the state. Now, I'll tell you, a lot of manufacturers have expanded production to other states. You look at Kimber. Yeah. Kimber, yeah. Kimber was based out of Yonkers, New York for, you know, for many years. Uh, then they expanded production down to Troy, Alabama. Well, a couple years later, they moved their corporate headquarters from Yonkers. They, so they went from being a New York-based company to an Alabama-based company that makes guns also in New York. Yeah. So Mossberg, same thing. Same Mossberg, thing. Mossberg, Mossberg, family country, company fam since day one. Family company based in Connecticut. They have no plans to leave anytime, but they also produce 
firearms down in, in uh, down in Texas. Hey, yeah, so, okay. Uh, so, <laughs> gotta go, gotta go get some money out of that out of that Texas crowd. Down, down in Eagle Pass, Texas. They've been Eagle Pass. Yep, okay. they've been yeah. down there for, for many years. So you're starting to see a lot of this happen. Or, you know, Ruger, Ruger, another one, another you know foundational major manufacturer, yeah. corporate headquarters in Connecticut. They have production in Hampshire, Arizona, and in North Carolina. Yeah. So they're expanding around to where they're at. That's by the way, I want to correct you. That's the great state of Arizona. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, guys, we're, we're about out of time, and I've got Charlie over here waiting on us. She's got a great big smile. She's going to chat with us here in just a couple of minutes. But, okay, last word, Pete, what do you got? Uh, you, were talking about, you were talking about all the legislation over at the national level. Tell me about, tell me about uh, just real quick, the team, because I have, uh, I have no doubt NSSF is not trying to do this by themselves. Yeah. Tell me about who you guys see as the core team that's, that's, that, that's out there so that we can all – uh, put our money where our mouth is and help every, as many of the team members as we can. Yeah, so again, like we're like I said, we're a little bit different. Uh, we, we don't rely on, on you as the gun owner to support our activities. You know, support your manufacturers that are that are members of NSSF. Uh, so that's what I tell you. Is, and you look across the major manufacturers, uh, you know, they're, they're there. Our board members are Smith & Wesson, our Mossberg, our, our char, you know, Charter Arms. I mean, those are our manufacturers. They, all those guys, Vista, your ammunition makers, they're our board of governors. So, so they're telling us what we need to do. I report to my boss and the president and CEO, and then we all report to the board of governors. So, uh, you know, I tell you, you continue to support your major manufacturers. Tell them how important, you know, it is that, that they're connected in and supporting the things that we're doing with NSSF. As you as a gunner, I'm going to tell you is, is do your research. Figure out who, uh, who you think is most effective in supporting your rights. You know, whether that be the NRA or whether that be Second Amendment Foundation or Gunners of America or, or any of the others that are out there. And there are a lot of state-level organizations. California Rifle Pistol Association right. has been very active in protecting the rights of Californians. Yeah. So I tell you is, is do your research. Figure out who is, who is going to be most effective and get out there and support them. All right, Nick, last word. Go. Yeah, so I'm com- coming from a place of, like, very neutral-minded because I'm, you know, for a lot of my life as a young man, I, I've had to just focus on work and just work. And now that I'm 30 and I have a wife and child, I'm like, oh, I have more responsibility. I'm not the young guy anymore who gets to let the adults play. What are some, where, like, do you have any references that you think that people that are just like me who are now being aware of where, of their rights being stolen from them yeah. and having, um, um, you know, just their past stripped away and, and and trying to be erased. How do you like? Where are the resources? What are what should I do to go and uh, get myself more informed? Yeah. So I, I tell you, we, we try to make sure we're putting up information that's valuable, uh, not only to the industry but also to you who is, is interested in, in the industry. Uh, and how some of this legislation is working. So we put up blogs all the time uh, that are posted on our website. So if you go to NSSF.org, click on the media tab, and you'll scroll down. You'll see our press releases. You'll see our blogs that are posted out there. We share those around with some of your other gun websites that you may be looking at, like Truth About Guns or Ammo Land, some of the others that we'll share those around. Uh, so I tell you, is, is you know, take a look at what we're putting up, and, and not just us. Like I said, we're looking at it from the manufacturer point of view, but start to look around to some of those other groups that I was telling you about because yeah. they're also putting out a lot of really good information, especially the ones that are state associated. They may be able to drill down to some of the, the minutiae that, that we just don't always have the bandwidth to, to slow down and take a look at. Okay. Yeah. Mark, thank you very much. Mark Avalet, NSSF. Yeah. Will you Mark, come back thanks. on the show again? Absolutely. Would love to. Yeah. Will you actually, you know, if you come here, we, talk to us. 
you are always talking to people who love you. <laughs> right. And I, I mean, love how, it. How often does that happen? <laughs> my, my wife loves me, but she doesn't always like me, so yeah, I'll, I'll take right. that well, any time. Well, you're one of our favorite people, so thank you very much for coming on the show. Thanks, I appreciate you. Thanks, Mark. Bye. Thank you very much for listening to the entire podcast. I really do appreciate it. I want to let you know that these podcasts, the ones that are not the normal ones where it's the crew getting together and we're cracking up or talking about, you know, regular stuff with Rick and Sam and Pete, these are going to be interspersed sort of in between those regular podcasts. And from now on, every interview I do on Gun Guy TV, I'm going to take the audio portion and turn it into a podcast for you. So Because they're kind of long sometimes. If you want to listen to them on the way to work or on the way home or whatever, it's a little easier to consume that information. I'll make sure there's an audio version that goes out as a podcast. It might be a few days delayed just because of time and space and place, but I will try to get them out as quickly as possible. All right, thank you again very much for everything you do. Have a wonderful week, and wherever you go, whatever you do, stay safe. You've been listening to the Gun Guy TV podcast. 